Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Voices of Two Blocks podcast. My name is Jeanette. And my name is Hermela. Today, we are here with a special guest, member Caroline Hunter from the Cambridge School Committee. Today, we welcome you all back to Two Blocks Season 2, and as always, we will be addressing our through-line question, can and should corporate entities play a greater role in our education, and we're introducing the perspective of school administration. So, hello, Caroline. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, to start off, we just wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about who you are and your path to becoming a member of the Cambridge School Committee. Uh, Sure. Um... Uh, let's see, I'm a resident of Cambridge, uh, a retired teacher. I worked at in the Cambridge Public Schools for 34 years. Uh, during those years, I was a Chapter 1 teacher. Uh, chapter 1 was a program to support students who um, were performing below grade level and who had social economic needs. And so I was Chapter 1 teacher where I supported students in the mathematics curriculum. Um, I also have taught uh, in the district uh, as a math educator. Uh, matter of fact, I was just in Learning Community C where I worked when I was at Cambridge Ranger Latin. And today I went to the Social Justice Forum organized by a ninth grade teacher, Miss Roach. Uh, that was wonderful. And then I went to a Learning Community meeting with the teachers. But uh, when I was here, I was a math teacher in Learning Community uh, L. Um, I taught MCAS math. Um, SAT prep math, college algebra, um, and um, uh, college math. Uh, and then for a certain period of time, I was the student government advisor. That uh, meant I ran the student service center. I don't believe it exists anymore. But the student service center was a warehouse for all kinds of things that students needed. So uh, I supervised the clubs, the activities, the yearbook, um, and uh, those aspects of, of education. So in addition, I'm a parent of a student who went through the Cambridge Public School System K-12. through My daughter, Lizette Williams, went through the King Open School, and then she matriculated to Cambridge Ridge in Latin. She was in Learning Community A and eventually finished off her uh, last year as a member of the pilot school. So I'm familiar with Cambridge as a teacher, as a parent, and as an administrator. Well, thank you so much for sharing your a little background about yourself. Um, you definitely have a lot of experience within the district, which is something we're going to be talking about. So jumping right in, I think we would want to know a little bit more about your very unique experience as a former CPSD educator and administrator. So how do you think those perspectives and that experience has revealed to you um, about the strengths and weaknesses of our school district as a whole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, um I know it. Um, I know the strengths and weaknesses, uh, both as, as from all those aspects, as a parent, as a teacher, and a kid. There's a uh, as a parent of a student, rather. Um, Cambridge allows great innovation, but sometimes when you have that without accountability, you get uneven distribution of resources and talents. And uh, many years ago, um, we had an organization called the Concerned Black Staff. These were the black educators and educators of color who advocated for each other and also for students. So one year I was sitting in an assembly with uh, some colleagues and it was maybe back to back. Maybe one day we had honors assembly and the next day we had sports assembly. So when we were in a sports assembly, one of the colleagues looked over to me and said, why is the sports assembly predominantly black and why was the honors assembly predominantly white? That set us off on a quest to produce what we call the student data report. This is in 1986-87, where we, with the help of um, some people in the computer data center, gathered the performance data of the students at the high school in um, language arts and in mathematics and in science. And what we reported was a tale of two cities that we had within our school district, uh, two sets of students, upper middle class students, essentially um, white, but not exclusively white, could come to our district and get a very well-rounded education. Four years of science, four years of math, lab science, division one sports, travel abroad, uh, fantastic public education, and actually get an edge at entering universities because they went to a public high school. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, meantime, uh, students of color, students of low socioeconomic background, students with disabilities were not receiving the same quality education, uh, not in terms of the quality and the types of class. So we designated it a tale of two cities. We made many recommendations to the school department. Um, and when we published it, the superintendent at the time, Dr. Robert Peterkin, basically said, the first thing I'm going to do is check your data and make sure that data is correct. Now, we had crunched these numbers by hand <laughs> with calculators. And they ran the data through the computer system and confirmed our data. And then Dr. Peterkin basically said he was a black man, African-American man, very respected um, um, as an educator, not fully appreciated here. He went on to form the uh, Principal Center at Harvard Graduate Education, School of Education, and Superintendent Center, and is, is, is responsible for producing most of the urban superintendents of color uh, in the United States based on his uh, training and careers. But Dr. Peterkin embraced this and basically said, well, now you're going to present it to the school committee, uh, and then we're going to present it to the teachers and then to the parents and to students. And so it was kind of a big shakeup in Cambridge. We recommended um, algebra in the eighth grade. We recommended parent liaisons at the high school before there was not a parent liaison at the high school. Uh, we recommended significant changes to the scholarship program because at the time the scholarship program was re rewarding scholarships to the same students. Um, so we developed an um, inclusive scholarship process where applications were read anonymously, where we had committees of teachers uh, and administrators uh, and people who gave scholarships to read uh, um, applications blind uh, so we could develop a more equitable program. Uh, we recommended that we have math specialists in the ele elementary grades. The average elementary school teacher um, and this, there's research to document this, is trained in, in language arts. That's the primary avocation. Math teachers generally come in as specialists. And so you have elementary teachers who are not particularly, some who are strong in math, but not all strong in math, who haven't studied a math curriculum as educators, forced to teach the fundamentals. Well, that probably works K through three or K through four. But we recommended by the time you get to fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade that you need math specialists in the classroom so students can uh, develop a good foundation because it's an unfair burden on a teacher who's not qualified to teach math to have them teach beyond the fundamentals. So those are a few of the uh, recommendations that we made. And many of them were followed for a while. The other thing we did is we recommended that the district annually publish a student data report. It's one thing to get the data from the state, but it's even more important to know how you're doing among your peers, okay? So one of the things I would like to see is I'd like to see the district go, go back to being fully transparent and report on the progress of our students because if you're not looking at a problem, it's very hard to address it or take it as seriously as it is. So that background informs uh, me being on the school committee now. Um, I come with, I would say, the most experience because I have an education background. I've done the work over time, uh, and I've done the work from various points of view. So I'm happy to apply my knowledge uh, to the school committee, but I'm looking for change. Thank you for leaving yeah. us with that. I think that you brought up a really important mm -hmm. aspect and notion of transparency, and that's something that we're pushing like directly is that transparency in is that in that accountability i think that's something that is lacking and setting us back even though we are on the pin on the map for various things as a city but even as a school district with the highest like pure pu per pupil spending in the state i think those numbers almost set us back and we always have this theme of talking about the can the pride that cambridge has and how that almost blindsides us to do more and do better for our community as a whole mm -hmm. so i think within the school district that's something as a student for over what, 12 years now um understanding that 
transparency is something that is going to lead progress, but is also needed in the now as well. A lot of the time we get blindsided, oh, our graduates went here, they went there, but this is something that we want to know. And we've brought this up in previous podcasts is the idea of like what happens to our CRLS graduates after four years, after post-secondary, what do they do? Where are they? And we don't have that data and that data is nowhere to be found. And we want to know why it's not being addressed or not why it's not being tallied. But I think that would really help us create this web of connections, not only to help students, but also to see how well we are doing both on either end of that spectrum. Uh, Absolutely. And and, um, for many years, I was the advisor to the Black Student Union. Um, And I was the first person to expose the school to historically black colleges. I went to Xavier University, a proud graduate of Xavier University with a bachelor's in chemistry. And I'm a research chemist by trade. Um, And um, when I was working at the high school and we had the um, college fair, uh, I was disturbed that we didn't have any information. So I developed a table um, until we got schools to come with um, not only materials from Xavier, but from uh, from all the other historically black colleges. Because unfortunately, a lot of our guidance counselors didn't know, didn't know the quality of historically black colleges. And so oftentimes they would pass on uh, discouraging comments about that's not a good school simply because they didn't know anything about it. Uh, And so uh, that's taken to the point now that uh, many historically black colleges do have a table at our college fair. But part of it is access to information now. Whenever, when, and I don't remember the year, but one year in sharing the data report with the Black Student Union, they held, they were astonished at the performance, that where they fit in the world among their peers. In other words, they're having a good old happy-go-lucky time, time without realizing that people on either side of them are getting a better education, getting more access um, having a better uh, experience that's going to pre- prepare them for life. So the Black Student Union itself held a forum for Black History Month on the achievement gap, basically demanding among their peers to work harder, but also demanding that the school provide a more equitable and fair education. So the more students know about their education and the more they're empowered to have a say in their education, I think we're going to get a better product. We don't have to shield students from the cold, hard facts of what happens when you don't have good performance in school. I have one of my famous um, graduates. I don't know if you're all familiar with Chip Greenwich. He's a, a graduate of Cambridge Ridge in Latin. Um, his father taught um, phys ed and was one of the founders of this very famous ski club. But Chip Greenwich is a, I wish I could find this uh, posting he just did. He is um, um, working on his doctorate at Georgia State. He's created many problems, uh, many products. He created the National College Black Alliance when he was in college. And he would come back and have students from the historically black colleges come and talk to the students in Cambridge, Greater Boston Schools, about their college experience and they had the recruitment. He'd also talk about philanthropy so that from the time you're a, a high school um, student, you understand how organizations work. And it doesn't mean that you have to give everything but that you have some give back uh, both to your community and to the college you went went to. So his program was collegiate mentoring high school students. Then he went on to Georgia State. He did a lot of work. Um, his doctorate was on um, the Atlanta Underground and street workers. Now he's at the Ash Center. He's uh, been held over as the on the, at the Ash Center. He's most re- recently been appointed by Mayor Wu on the Committee on Reparations. So he talks about he's one of my former what I call my students. Um, because uh, a lot of them are my colleagues now, but my former students. Um, and a lot of them I didn't necessarily teach in class, but they were in this club structure that I was responsible for. So we call him Chip. Chip talks about going to the Hunter School of Leadership because I used to say to him, A's and B's are scholarships. That's the salary you want. C's and D's are loans. Okay. And he talks about this notion. We always talked about if you go in some place, sit in the front row. Make yourself available and accessible to learning. Think deeply and ask a question. There's no wrong question. 
but involve yourself, engage yourself. And he had an aspect, he said, I didn't take any prisoners and I, I really didn't. But it's about having a standard for students where they know it's based on care. It's not punitive. It's about trying to expose you to the experiences that we have. So I hope to bring that, that experience to the school committee. Um, and um, it is important to know that we've had people who've graduated from Cambridge Ringe and Latin who have solid careers. Now, just this week, four of our graduates went in the news. Linnell Moise, um, who graduated from Cambridge Ringe and Latin, young Haitian woman, has a play that's being um, produced on Tremont Street in the Calderon Square. Dr. Ebony Britwell Mitchell, who was a senior class president, one of my mentees, just got a chair at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's an endowed professor. And then Gretchen Brian Meisel, who's a graduate of Cambridge Ringe Latin, was just appointed associate professor. Okay. So it's important to know that, yes, we've produced a good product. And those are, uh, that's a diverse group of people I just talked about. But I agree with you, um, Janat. We can't rest on that because we have to be able to provide that same quality education that those three people got to the students that are in the seats now. And I agree with you. The fact I don't think the fact that we spend thirty five grand per kid sets us up. It forces us to be accountable. Exactly. We need to be able to show how that money is trickling down to students in quality instruction and quality programming and access to education and all the services that this district provides. Everybody has a right to a quality education. Yeah. It's a birthright. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we we have the money to provide it. And so now we have to figure out why isn't that product being delivered to everybody? That's our responsibility. That's yeah. part of that yeah. transparency. And the extra part of that is accountability. Yeah, for sure. I think I, that's the big question. I yeah. Mean. Definitely. And that's something we're always continuously talking about is, yes, we do have the money and we do have the resources, but that should use be a way to leverage what we can and cannot provide. But that cannot is the the aspect that we need to dial in on, because I as I always say, I feel like CRLS right now is it is one school, but the way that it's set up, there's three Divided. schools within it. You have the school providing for the top 10%, the bottom 10%, and everybody else in the middle is just left mm-hmm. to roam. And so obviously when you have a population of 80 plus percent of students, that's a big that's number a of our amount. graduates and our students at CRLS and just in the district as as a whole. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I'm always thinking about is our school, it is doing and it is propelling a lot of students to do good and do well and be amazing, whatever that may be in whatever format, mm-hmm. but it's so exclusive and it's almost elitist in the sense because if you grew up in a certain, and I'm not saying this is the norm necessarily, but the high percentage of students who are able to get the best education at CRLS have know the tricks, if you will. Mm. And that should be, education shouldn't have hurdles and boundaries and tricks. That should be something that every student can have access to and should have access to. And it's not just about playing the game, but rather how can we help set students up to be able to play the game outside of high school? Because as we know, we live in a world where not everything is going to be delivered to you on a silver platter. So you need to be understanding, you need to be in a good position to no matter your background, no matter your identity, that's not going to be a like a burden or a barrier for you to achieve whatever you may want to. Yeah, and kind of adding on top of that, we are currently in a school where students are coming from so many different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a value that we really always boast the diversity of CRLS. But how are we making sure that going hand in hand with that diversity and the different Mm -hmm. backgrounds that students come from, how are we making sure that we're able to use our resources to accommodate for all of those diverse backgrounds and identities and How are we making sure that the resources that we're trying to leverage as a city, whether it's the per pupil spending or the resources that are outside of our school, how are we making sure we're able to like resource it for the students that need it the most and making sure that it's being applied in the right ways for all the diverse amount of students that are here? Yeah. And just like one more thing before we get on, move Mm -hmm. on, I think something that we always use to to ask this question and pose this question to the student demographic is how many of our students can walk through Kendall Square and feel represented and feel reflected and that they can see reflections of themselves present in those spaces. And that number is far, far less than lower than it should be. be. So I think that's something that says a lot because we do have these 
high, high achieving institutions in literally in our own backyard. Mm -hmm. But how are we leveraging them to make sure we're setting our students up for success, no matter what it may be? We have Kendall Square, most innovative square mile on the planet. We're not just talking about the state. We're not just talking about the country, but the planet in the world. (laughs) And we have Harvard and MIT that are globally like renowned renowned institutions. institutions. So how are we making sure that whoever is in our city and whoever is going through our school districts is being able to use those as resources to reach their fullest extent? (laughs) And that's something we are really curious and passionate about solving and expanding. Yeah, I think that's a a really uh, wonderful way to to transition. Um, I was on the mayor's town and gown committee and and what you're going to find out I've done a lot of (laughs) stuff okay Uh, and I believe it was organized I'm not sure it could have been Mayor Alice Wolf or uh, Mayor Duhay and what we found and unfortunately I think it's still true that the district has lots of relationships with individual professors at Harvard MIT Leslie various universities um, as as, as it happens in the network of, of learning. But the city, neither the city nor the school district has a formal enough relationship with those institutions to benefit students. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a colleague of Professor Charles Ogletree. He always involved us um, in his Saturday school. We had students going to his Saturday school. As a matter of fact, Professor Ogletree and his wife chaired a year-long study of the guidance department for the district. They gave an awful lot. Uh, but that wasn't a formal relationship. That was a relationship Dr. McLaurin, who was the assistant principal, and myself developed with him. Now, most recently, last week, I was in New Jersey. I was the guest speaker at Brookdale Community College. And um, people are going to think I've dis- I might divorce Massachusetts and root for <laughs> Jersey. But Brookdale, uh, when, when I was telling friends who are from Jersey, I'm speaking at Brookdale, they said, well, which campus? Community colleges here have one campus, as I recall, right? PHCC, RCC, one campus. Brookdale has 12,000 students in multiple campuses. But on the campus of the main campus is a technology high school. Uh, MIT, Harvard, duh. Okay. There are many universities that have preparatory high schools on their campus is a real commitment to sharing their resources, their technology, their whatever with the students from that district. Okay. Um, I visited a uh, Take Girls to Engineering uh, program. Okay. Um, as I was telling Mr. Dawson, I visited a young tech entrepreneur. I want to introduce his product to people for, to MBK, to the innovators and to the Banneker. I'm a founder of the ben- Benjamin Banneker Charter School. Uh, but there's an awful lot more that we could do. So I think your leading question is really the question of the decade. <laughs> Can and should corporate entities, and we, when, when we're going to talk about co- corporate entities, we're going to throw the university in there. Definitely. Definitely. That is an entity. Okay. Yeah. The, the, it is the Harvard Corporation. Yeah, mm. it okay. is. So we Education rem- is a corporation. We, we, we have to remind them yeah. when they come for their tax-free dollars that they are a corporation. <laughs> but no, they have a vital role to play. They have an obligation to share the resources, both um, physical and human. And the greatest asset are there, are there, is, the, are, is the talented faculty yeah. and staff. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I think in the long run, we need to have um, when you I'm going to jump to some of your questions. When we talk about how to make education real, we need um, hands on project based learning, job shadows, mentorship, a chance for our students to connect the world to their learning. And we also need to challenge our educators to do that as well. Because there's a lot that can be done, and I really think there are people willing to do it. It's just about having the vision and the leadership of someone to pull together the plan and say, this is what we need, and this is how you can help us. Now, that doesn't take us off the hook for how we spend our 35 grand. (laughs) We still have to be efficient and accountable with that. Um, And 
and make sure the services are being delivered and that access point is broad. And I'll stop there. I definitely yeah. think, yeah, you brought up a really amazing point. And I think that last idea that you said regarding like how we're exposing our students is something that yeah, we've been definitely. thinking about and trying to expand. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've mentioned this in the past, but even as a student at the high school currently, to gain experience in the outside world is so like all over the place mm-hmm. there's so many offices so many people you can go and, and get an internship to. and it's just there's no one-stop shop and that's something we're pushing on a student front is trying to create a center we have early college center we have a so- center for career, career and college, college readiness. readiness yes but where are how are students getting access to that you may have to bring back the student service center the Student Service Center was the warehouse for anything a student wanted to do, the public wanted to do with students and colleges. So when Harvard had that debate and they wanted to have a debate team, they came through the Student mm-hmm. Service Center. When the, um, I can't think of the name of the gentleman who worked for the Globe, a famous editorial reporter, he ran the chess club. Okay. So, uh, you, and I, and that's my concern right now. Um, just for people's information, I ran for school committee, um, I believe 2021, lost by 106 first rank votes. Uh, I came out of retirement. When I lost, I went back in retirement. So I'm seven months behind. Someone resigned, a, a member who was elected resigned in November, and I was on the committee, uh, been on the committee since December 6th. So I feel like I'm behind the eight ball in terms of trying to understand the district. Cambridge is a significant bureaucracy, and that concerns me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the 10 years since I've been gone, there are layers and layers and layers and layers of administration. And that's significant. But it should not distance the people in those jobs from the people they're serving. Exactly. exactly. Thank you. Thank exactly. you. Finally, someone oh, said this. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. No, literally, this is not something that in the past four years, uh, as almost four years now at CRLS, mm-hmm. this is my big thing. How do you have administrators of a school district who are not connected to the students? How are administrative offices, how are people making the decisions for students, not asking students for their feedback? And even then, when you're asking for feedback and you're asking for Mm -hmm. comments, oh, how can we... It's not being implemented. It's not being utilized. Mm -hmm. Our student voice is minimized at the school. And as members of the school committee, uh, not school committee, student government, it's so amazing to me that we have all these like groups and these functions, but none of them work together. And that's a bigger picture is from the people we've talked to from Kendall Square and various institutions. They just simply say like the CPSD's district is hard to work with. There's no communication. Um, I'm going to be very judicious. Take a sip. (laughs) Hard to work with. No, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, Unfortunately, when I retired, I used to get calls all the time from people who said, I called the school. Nobody called me back. Mm -hmm. I had a resource I wanted to give. Uh, Most recently, I had a colleague who wanted to donate services. She's um, certified in her area, uh, well-respected, just recently retired from the district. And she wanted to offer a counseling group for girls. And she had some engagement with people. And they never got back to us. So she's offering the group in another district. Um, And I know we have to vet people and we have to do all the due diligent things. Uh, to protect our students. But we should be able to get back to that person and say, yes, we can use your services and this is how we're going to do it. Or no. But we can't be this space where uh, people are throwing things at us, good things for our students, and they don't have access for it. So uh, I don't know if it's a student service center. Um uh, I get concerned when everything is so digital mm-hmm. that um, the person who is, and it's not that students are in digital, but everybody doesn't have a good internet connection at home, which means you can't fully view documents or see them the way you would see them on your computer or on your phone. 
So, yeah, it's good to have some digital stuff, but we need a way to warehouse all this stuff so the average student, and my other concern is the average parent. Not every student is operating as an independent person. Exactly. They come with families who care for them, who are interested in their future, who want to support them in their endeavors and need to have this information. Sometimes you've gotten the information because your parent told you to go do it mm-hmm. or they saw it as important or they saw it as something that could benefit you. So just having a, a platform that's uh, only to students is troubling. So we have to do better. Uh, we have the people to do better. The question is um, how to get them to do those jobs that have to be done. Yeah, I mean, I think that really brings back to the idea that this is not like something that could be solved with one person or by one group fixing their ways. All of this is going to go away. I mean, we constantly acknowledge that, one, this is a systemic issue. It's something exactly. that's deeply rooted not only in, in Cambridge, in, Cambridge yeah. in the government system. It's also within the school itself, within the businesses. So it's really something that it won't be easy to let go of all of this. And whether the business community is saying that the problem is not with them, it's with something else, right. that back and forth that's mm. been constantly happening is not the productive conversation exactly. that we want to be occurring. And I think the question now is really how can we take all of these entities, the school, the businesses, parents and guardians, students themselves, how do we make sure that everybody who's part of the problem is able to voice their opinions and be at that table to have the conversation yep. and fix this issue, and exactly. how do we make sure that the conversation isn't is not per, um, counterproductive? To right. How right. We want and it we to have be. to move away from this performative mindset. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I always, always like bring to the table. And thankfully, I'm someone who, and me and Hermela, with this platform that we have, we're able to talk to various peoples and various stakeholders around the city. And we're glad to have our voices amplified in that sense. But we're a small percentage and a small, we're just two people representing 2,000 students. That's not enough. And we need to move away from, like I said, that checking the box mentality. I feel like we have this tendency, and it's not just CPSD, but just the whole vibe right now of 2023. And like, we're always just putting labels on things, community, equity. But how are we walking our talk? And that's something that we need to shift. We want to make, okay, you want to make a more equitable school district. You want to make a more equitable high school experience for students. So let's see this plan. How can we use that five-year district plan, that district plan that we have published? How are we walking our talk? We need to have those check boxes, but not just to flick the check on but rather how are students and use students as the abiding mm-hmm. outcome and output of those of those topics and i think that's something that i want to see is that okay you're uh, you have all these students like in high school and they're doing but do, is there a quota that's my thing one we have yeah. mcas's graduation <laughs> requirement yeah. why don't we make like oh at, in order to graduate high school you should have at least one year of internship experience or one internship experience or community or service community Something service like right. so one or the other limited to yeah. nhs and like right. having to like check that box right. so that there's so many of those like tendencies within the school and i mean mm-hmm. if you're able to go and do all of that then you're more than more than prepared, prepared like more than prepared but if you don't have that mm-hmm. either advocacy or ability to access those materials you're really set back in what you can and cannot achieve and that's a really big problem because like you said even families and backgrounds play a big role into this mm-hmm. because not a lot of families like i said some are very involved in their students endeavors mm-hmm. some maybe not so much but at the end of the day there's a baseline of caring and wanting your students to excel no matter what that looks like and mm-hmm. what format that takes but just because your family immigrated here or your co- family didn't go to college or if they did, that shouldn't fluctuate your experience and the opportunities you have access to. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we did uh, when Bill McLaren was assistant principal and I was in the student service center, we had parent meetings on Saturdays mm-hmm. because we have many parents uh, who are working during those other times when the parent meetings are being held. It's about trying to meet the community where they're where they're at and bring the services to where the services are required. Uh, so Cambridge has a significant challenge, I think, uh, to, um, as you say, put not just put our money where our mouth is. That's what we, we put money down, but it's the accountability 
and the delivery of services. Now, we have several audits going on right now uh, that was started before I got here that uh, hopefully will give us some idea in terms of delivery of services. Uh, but I still think there is a lot to be done in terms of how we connect students and teachers and families. Uh, that uh, I understand you all have a parent night coming up. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And what has that been like for you, for you in the past? Um, feel like parents have adequate access to get in to see teachers? I think we have a really different experience now with the pandemic. Yeah. Where for okay. the past couple of years, right. like okay. family, family conferences have been like on Zoom. Right. And like just recently, like this past semester, they like had curriculum night and they were able to like open up the building again mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. parents and families to come in. So, I mean, I like I started at, at Ringe like right in 2020 like literally in the brink of the pandemic Mm -hmm. so i think my like the way that i see things is a little different than past like what we are Mm -hmm. now like seniors and and whatnot but i definitely think that parents and like their knowledge of the school is somewhat Mm -hmm. limited Mm -hmm. depending on if they've had kids go through the district beforehand and Mm -hmm. i i mean like just speaking from my own experience like i'm the oldest in my family like amongst my siblings and I'm almost like the guinea pig where it's like I kind of like (laughs) guide the like experience and like I try the things for the first time Mm -hmm. but like even CRLS like my parents like they put in the effort to like know and like understand like classes and course you know but it takes a lot of effort for Mm -hmm. for parents to do that and that may not be the norm for everybody you know um so yeah well see that that's that's where we're back to this digital system Mm -hmm. um in terms of really having um, the document in hand, the access point in hand, that we need to have options for everything to have uh, the dual access points, you know, in terms of the information. Uh, I'm also concerned about this. Um, <clears throat> we do a lot of alphabetism. The rule in literature, the rule in English language is that before you put an acronym up, you say what it is. and I get so many documents from the school department where I have to say today in education terms what is blah 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 so when we think we're only talking to ourselves we use jargon we use language that's not easily understood everything we produce should be able to be read by minimally I'd say a middle school student to a high school student Mm -hmm. It should not be read by the person who has the graduate degree mm-hmm. in education, exactly. even though some people have them. So that's another thing about that transparency, about really being clear that you want to communicate with people, that you want people to understand mm-hmm. uh, what the opportunities are. And I think when you get back to this myriad of opportunities, because that's my my learning curve, trying to learn what are the, what are the three million programs. <gasps> And counting. That are happening <laughs> oh, at Cambridge Ringe in Latin, mm-hmm. but they're not on paper. Literally. That's that's the big They're question. not on paper. Yeah, they're exactly. not on paper. They're hard to access. They're so limited. And that's the thing. It's so interesting to me because normally when people are having discussions about inequities and like having an inequitable school district, blah, 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 they're going to talk about a lack of resources. But for us, we're on the other side of we're that. We're like overflowing with right, resources. Right. It's Matter of fact, limited. I got one I'm, I want to put out on, to your podcast right now. Sure. Now, I, I hope you heard about it. Let's see if you did. I, when I got it, I immediately sent it to um, I'm trying to think. I put it, send it to the did you know. I sent it to teachers I knew, mm-hmm. who I knew like Miss Lozado and Miss um, yeah. Labaz and Miss Cesario and Miss Reese to say, give this to your students. I gave it to the did you know. I sent it to the um, middle school, mm-hmm. to Sam. Musher, who works with the middle school students, that kind of thing. So I don't know if it got out because it's a free opportunity for girls. It's free coding classes. Okay. (laughs) Coding with closet. You got it? I'm so happy (laughs) the information got out. So for anybody who's listening, you can still apply. Oh, no, the deadline was February 6th. That was the problem. The deadline was February 28th. But it was free coding classes in person or online two-week sessions across the summer, so you could do it from wherever you were. Yeah. Uh, but those are the kind of things that there needs to be a... And I don't know anything about the web, but I've been on the school web and... 
It could use some work. There's, yes. I it could use some work. So maybe one of the things some of your tech partners could do is advise our district on a user-friendly uh, platform, um, accessible, and the, the, the accessibility we want from middle school up. Uh, even though we know uh, at the high school level, it's high school students going on, but we need to have parents be able to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I feel like the big, the, one of the main like t- things that we've been talking about right now is communication. And right. I think that targeting the way that we're communicating this information to students, to families is so important because if we're not making this communication like able to be read by all, if we're discriminating in that sense, Absolutely. then that means that that information can't be easily transferred to these groups of people. And if people don't know what's going on, how is anything going to happen at all? So. If it's not clear in English... You're going to have a hard time making it clear any other languages with cultural sensitivity to know uh, about what language you're using. Most recently had an experience with uh, my daughter's work on the vineyard where she's working as a large Brazilian community and they're trying to translate information into languages and they're working with a community college. And eventually she talked to someone who said that's that concept does not exist in the culture. There are colleges in Brazil. People don't understand a community college or an associate degree. So you have to understand that to be able to communicate this opportunity to people adequately and not assume that everybody, because we know what a community college is and we think we know, mm-hmm. everybody from every other culture. It's different. It's going to. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, and I'm sure that's even a broader um, problem as you go across languages and across cultures. For sure. Yeah. I think that like discrepancy definitely dials in on just like discrimination, but also mm-hmm. like how inac- inaccessible things are amongst the district and having to know like a certain level of English to be under, yeah. to be able to understand right. opportunities and receive them. That's right. like so inequitable and like that's right. the yes. opposite of like those mission, vision, and val- core values mm-hmm. that us students created for the district right. and what we want to see. I think coming back a little bit to two blocks, we want to, um, talk about our pathways to potential framework that we created Um, and basically this is again touching on how internship seems to be the hot topic in in creating students and giving them opportunities but we kind of we love internships but we think it starts way way before high school because four years is way too not, short yeah, right. not enough time right. to yeah. figure out what you want to do create a plan and achieve it and make it feasible so mm-hmm. we've expanded this and pushed it even further to the K through 5 level and all the way through K through 12 so in K through 5 so elementary school that's when we're getting students aware of opportunities mm-hmm. getting them excited and, and interested almost for middle school for them to be aware of what is around mm-hmm. them, specifically in their own backyard and what's, right. and what's to come. Middle school, that's when you start honing in on your interests. So when you do get to high school, you have some sort of idea. And I mean, you don't have to have a set path, but giving students this opportunity, this framework helps them be creative and be right. able to try and, and, and see themselves projected in various fields and various occupations. We A lot of the time we see students like, literally in third or fourth grade, start saying, I don't want to be a scientist or I don't want to be a mathematician. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be this just because they don't see visions of themselves portrayed in those in those things um so we want to really really dial in and make sure that students no matter your background no matter your identity you're going to see representations and you're going to have mentors along the way to push you further than you thought you could and that's what leads us to high school where that's Mm -hmm. when you actually dial in and start using those in-field experiences such as internships and and like we have in the high school the senior internship program that's run by miss Fitzgerald Mm -hmm. and actually getting to experience the full-pledged way of working, which is really cool. And not a lot of districts have that. So one thing we do want to ask you is how can we build just based off of your experience being in the district and being tapped into the district for a while, how can we provide programs, not more programs, but how can we use what we already have and format it in a way to ensure that all Cambridge students, regardless of their starting point, will be inspired to pursue high impact careers in Kendall and beyond, no matter it doesn't necessarily need to be restricted to just Kendall Square. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we can start there. Well, we, we have to do several things. First of all, um, we have to start on a curricular level with mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. notion that career education is a K through 12 opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it certainly happens in elementary school with the little pictures of the f- first responders. Everybody's, <laughs> yes. you know, those, but it's so, those, yeah, it's, well, those images are there. But it's about translating the language from uh, these are the opportunities, these are the jobs, these are the categories to exposure now. In the good old days, there was take your child to work. Okay. Uh, that's what uh, we've been, yeah, yes. career day. Okay. So it's, it, it, it could start off um, with the city building out from take your, take your child to work day. So for every kid who's not going, let's say if we target, that's going to be fourth grade classrooms. Mm-hmm. Safety issue, fourth grade classrooms. So you start off with saying, okay, everybody who's going to work with the parent, we got that covered. Now let's get all the other students who we want to have. Then you can go to corporations and say, okay, give us one day, a half a day. We're coming in post your entry time. We want to engage the students with one little group talk because we're talking fourth graders. They're going to experience a half an hour, 40 minutes job shadow, lunch snack. Okay. Then you can go to, okay, what's the next in middle school? What's the next, next thing? So now you've gone from that just come in and see a job to maybe Saying to kids, what do you, what are you interested in at this point in time? So now the scientists go somewhere, the daycare. Okay. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a doable model. I'm sure I could give it to a high school class and have them map it out. But it's about having the curricular framework, having the vision and the desire and then the leadership to carry it out. Yeah, exactly. I think that making sure that we're able to structure our learning experience in that way is the best way to prepare students for high school where they're going to engage in these opportunities more and be able to be successful for the future. Because all the issues that we're noticing right now, whether it's the opportunity gap or students not being prepared and ready for the skills they need to pursue an internship in high school, it's coming from the fact that maybe they didn't gain that exposure or Mm -hmm. that passion when they were much younger right. and being able to kind of provide them with some opportunity to start to gauge their own interests and be mm-hmm. like, oh, I like to do this. Maybe this isn't what I, um, this isn't my favorite thing, but I'd love to explore it more. Giving them the- and at least you try. Yeah. yeah. That's the biggest thing. Helping them like yeah. enjoy the idea of exploration and being mm-hmm. able to explore these opportunities. And that can kind of spark their inspiration, spark mm-hmm. their engagement and advocacy for their own learning. Mm-hmm. And that's really how we can work on moving forward from there. Definitely. And adding on to that, I want to say, like, again, on like trying, I think we want to make sure in setting up our students that they're able to feel interested in, in be aware of opportunities without the contingency or fear of not being able to achieve it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing that I think sets a lot of students back is like, oh, you're interested in something. But even like as young as elementary school, students start thinking about, okay, I'm interested in this, but am I able going to, am I going to be able to do this? You know, am I able, am I going to be set up in a way that using my background, using my identity, Mm -hmm. like using my various like cultural factors, is that going to set me back and being able to make this feasible? And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we really want to move away from. And again, like on that topic of creating a more equitable experience, I think for time's sake, I want to jump to our last question Mm -hmm. for us today and our through line question. So we really just want to know, can and should corporate entities play a greater role in our education? Why or why not? And how? I think absolutely they should. I think um, there there are all kinds of reasons. Uh, one is that a lot of these entities are getting tax, break, tax breaks mm-hmm. uh, from the um, government. So that's one reason. The other thing is they are interested in a talented and a creative and a uh, willing workforce. So there's part of their self-interest. To be able to um, have the to to have us prepare the students to meet the standards that they need, um, so there are all kinds of reasons. Also, they have talent and resources uh, that uh, can be shared and can be um, tested. As I said, I was very impressed with the 
technology, technology high school on the campus of a community college. And we have many great universities here who who don't have that and who don't give substantially. But I would argue that maybe they have been asked to give substantially. So I think it would be very important for us to uh, reconvene or someone to convene that old town and gown, uh, but not to study what hasn't happened, but to make a plan for how this can happen, how we can roll out um, a model for the universities uh, and the corporate entities. Uh, and there are some who are going to come forward willingly, those who are willing to come forward to give back and get involved in producing a really quality product of education. Because the same tech people that work in our environment, many of them live in our environment, and they also have an interest in having quality education for their children or to attract their employees. So there's a deep self-interest, both from that corporate um, background and uh, the city background, of having a, 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 a substantial quality product, not just for a few, but for everybody. Uh, and um, I look forward to, to working toward that and like to see our corporate um, um, partners more involved and like to see the district tap into them to the, our fullest potential. Definitely. Yeah, as do we. I mean, just like you said, I think we realize that at this point, everybody has the initiative to be working towards kind of like the two bucks goal. Right. But we really need to find a way to connect the dots and mm -hmm. make sure that every entity has what they need to move forward and be able to ally together and make sure we're all working towards this so definitely i think alignment accessibility inspiration those are, those are all themes that we have taken away from this conversation today with member hunter and we appreciate your time so with that said do you have any last comments or Marks. questions for us well I'm, I'm excited to be here i want to thank you all for this initiative and thank you for this opportunity to talk to your community and uh want to assist you in broadening your um your base. I want to see an ad for your podcast in the Register <laughs> Forum. I don't think I don't think the Register Forums is selling ads, but they should give it to you as a community service. <laughs> like to see Cambridge Day, put your podcast there so people could because when people see it on a regular basis, they get to tune tune in um, and um, like to know what I can do to support the initiative and get involved. I think it is so critical uh, that you have this podcast that you're talking to all the segments of the community that have a responsibility to get involved in the educational product. Definitely. Cambridge has a great is a great city. It has the potential to be greater. And it's going to be greater if it can deliver its services and opportunities to all of its citizens mm -hmm. in a fair and equitable basis that is transparent about what it's doing and accountable for what it's not doing. Exactly. I mean, I think you hit it right on that. Yep. Yeah, with that one. Definitely. Well, Perfect. thank you again, Member Hunter, and we thank greatly you. appreciate your thank time. Thank you. Thanks.